0: Ah, uh, grab your Bibles if you would, and uh, if you would like, you can open up the Church Celebration Church app. Uh, my sermon notes are in there. You can just follow along with me, and then you can email it to yourself after the service. There's also a Bible in there, so if you didn't bring your Bible, you can just open up that app, and we'll be ready to rock and roll. So, uh, uh, about two weeks ago, I preached. I was in the middle of a series called Seven which is about the, the seven churches that Jesus had a letter written to. And when Jesus showed up to John to have him write these letters, he rep- there were seven lampstands around Jesus that represented the seven churches. And uh, the church that we're going to talk about today in the series is the Church of Sardis. Uh, He had a a letter written to that church. Now that church was a fascinating church when you study it. Because even though it was just a a large group of people, just like any other church, there was really two fractions of people within the church. There was one group. um, It was the smaller of the two. They were the faithful group, the faithful remnant It was just a small group of people, and and the Lord gave them a promise. He said, you're the remnant, you're the faithful ones. He says, uh, there's going to be a day where you walk with me. Um, I'm going to stand up in heaven when you arrive, and I'm going to announce that you're here. Um, and, And there's just these promises that he gave to the remnant. But to the other group, the larger group, these were not the faithful these were the fakers these were the people that showed up to church they had church clothes they knew the church lingo Um, and they were church people when they were in the church and they were fooling everybody around them but they weren't fooling Jesus at all he saw right through it He saw right through it and he had an issue with this uh, don't you wish that in life you could see through the baloney? Raise your hand if you're single in this room. You're single, you're single. Raise your hand if you're single. See, if, wouldn't it be nice that if, when you go on a date that they would just be honest within the first few minutes? Wouldn't that be nice? Like they would sit down and they would say, hey, how are you? I mean, the waiter comes. You haven't even ordered drinks yet. And they say, look, before this goes any further, I just want you to know I am super insecure. I get jealous a lot. I get jealous a lot. I can't hold down a job. I've had five jobs this year, been fired from all five. I'm in a ton of debt. You wouldn't believe how much debt. I started getting in debt when I was 16. I get every single credit card that comes in the mail. I am in so much debt. Oh, by the way, I've got three misdemeanors that's out right now. And I snore. So if we get married, you are not going to sleep. I'm also lactose intolerant. Wouldn't you like to know that off the top? Uh, I want to know. If you're lactose intolerant, I just want to know. What about when you go for a job interview? And, you know, who is ever interviewing you? Whatever lady or man is sitting on the other side of the desk. They're interviewing you. They're asking you questions. And they look at you and say, would you like to know anything? And you go, as a matter of fact, I would. Let's talk about you just so I know. Can you tell me a little bit about you? And the lady or the man that's interviewing says, Okay, let me tell you a little about you. I am a huge micromanager. I am going to micromanage the snot out of you. Oh, and it doesn't matter how hard you work. You won't ever please me. I am impossible to please. Oh, and the dress code, I know we have it written in the handbook, but it doesn't matter what you wear, I'm going to find something wrong with it. Oh, and raises, probably in about five years, you'll get a 1% raise. Is there anything else you'd like to know? That pretty much covers it. Wouldn't life be easier if it was that transparent? Transparent. Your daughter comes home with a boyfriend and you look at the boyfriend and you say, is there anything that you'd like to say? Yes, sir, I would like you to know that uh, I've got a whole bunch of drugs in the back of my pocket. <laughs> Wouldn't that be? Let's just cut to the chase. I plan on taking your daughter to a party tonight and I got a lot of beer in the trunk. Can we just be honest about it? Well, Jesus has a huge advantage because he's the son of God. And he's saying, Sardis, church of Sardis, you're fooling. You're fooling each other. I just want you to know you're not fooling me. I see it. I see it. And he says, there's three things that I want to tell you. And the first thing is found in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. It says this Write the letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. It reads like this I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation. For being alive, but you are dead. You're dead. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And so what he does instantly is he parts the two groups. The remnant, you faithful people. Uh, I, I've already promised you a few things because you've stayed faithful. But the rest of you that are fakers, uh, we need to talk because you've got this reputation that's not true. See, let us I want everybody here to figure out within the next 60 seconds whether you're in the faithful category at celebration or whether you're a part of the fakers. Now, you don't have to hold your hand up and you don't have to point at anybody. I'm just going to throw a few things out there and you will know within the next 60 seconds, whether or not you are in the faithful category or whether or not you are in the faker category. You don't have to tell us, but you know, you're about to know, and God already knows. This is what the faithful remnant look like. See, there is a difference between weakness and wickedness. Faithful people love God, but they also have areas of their life where they are weak. They have a difficult time being righteous and holy and godly in those particular weak areas. Weakness. In fact, it's a characteristic of being godly. The Bible says this, that the righteous fall seven times, but they get back up. So a characteristic of a righteous person is they fall, but they always get back up. So a righteous, the people in the righteous category may have weaknesses, but they don't like them. They don't like their sin. They wish that... They look at it like a, like a cancer that they want out. They're not happy with it. And, and Jesus looks back at these people. He said this one time when he was preaching on a mount. He said, "Some of you, you're, you hunger and you thirst for righteousness. You're gonna be filled. I'm gonna make sure you become. I I personally am gonna make sure that you become righteous." See, that's the remnant. Now in the other category, the fakers, this is the category where it's not a weakness, it's a wickedness. There's things in their life that are sinful and they don't care because this is who I am. I don't plan on changing And as far as going to heaven, I'm sure I'm going to get in because I'm not really that bad of a guy. And I'm going to do what I want to do. Whether God likes it or not, I'm still going to do it. And this whole church thing is just a little bit weird for me. So I'm just going to do what I do. What's right for me is right for me. What's right for you is right for you. That is a description of someone who's faking it. The next time, raise your hand if you've ever heard someone say, what's right for me is right for me, what's right for you is right for you. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that. The next time you hear that, in the back of your mind, I want you to hear a toilet flushing. (laughs) Because that's the equivalent What's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. It's hogwash. Hogwash. Yeah, I kind of like that word. I've never used that word before. I've heard other people use it. What's right is the Bible, and we read the Bible to determine what's right, and we go, okay, that's right, that's what I'm going to do. It's kind of like driving a car, and you go, okay, what's the speed limit around here? Uh, 55. Okay, 55. If I'm going to follow the speed limit, it's 55. You don't sit there and go, I want the speed limit to be 95. You don't get to make up the rules. Some people love rules as long as they're the ones who make them. And so the difference between weakness and wickedness is the same difference between the faithful remnant and the faking majority. It's the same difference. Do you guys get that? Was that clear? Did I get that? Sometimes when I think it's not clear, I say it all over again. Do I need to go all over? You guys guys got that? Okay, let me move on. So Jesus says, okay, I've already promised some good things to the remnant. But those of you that are faking, uh, here's the deal. And this is point number one. Your passion is only skin deep. It's only skin. You guys have heard beauty is only skin deep. It, usually when someone says beauty is only skin deep, they're real pretty but dumb as a box of rocks. <laughs> He's saying your passion is only skin deep. You come in here, you sing real loud, you wear your church clothes, you say all the right things, but your heart, nah. In, in fact, it says this. Uh, he goes, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're not alive. It's fascinating, because in James chapter 5 verse 16, it says that the effectual fervent everybody say fervent. fervent. Now say fervent with some fervency. Fervent. All right, one, two, three, go. Fervent. Mike didn't say it. Now, everybody's got to say it all over again. One person messes it up for everybody. One, two, three. Fervent! There we go. So here we go. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. When you pray fervently, it weighs a big deal. In fact, it weighs more than praying casually for five hours. Here's a casual prayer. You pray a casual prayer when you pray for your Froot Loops. Lord, thank you for this breakfast in Jesus' name. Amen. That's great. That's awesome. He always loves to hear from you. It's kind of a funny prayer because when you say, Lord... Bless these Fruit Loops. Bless it unto my body. Okay, I'm going to make it all protein instead of sugar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny prayer, but he enjoys hearing from you. All right? So a fervent prayer is when you pray with passion. And, and if you've ever been driving the car on 45 and somebody cuts in front of you, and you go, Jesus! You have prayed a fervent prayer. You don't have the time when some moron is like, and you're like, ah! you don't have the time to go, Lord. I just want to come into your gates with thanksgiving in my heart. No, you don't. It's for Jesus. You you don't have time to go, Jehovah Jireh. Blah, blah, blah. You, that's fervency he says this when you pray with fervency it availeth much now I was raised in a Pentecostal church and so uh, when you are raised in a Pentecostal church you learn how to pray with fervency before you learn how to walk now there's things about the Pentecostal denomination that I don't miss at all but I do miss that and I wonder sometimes If we are raising a generation that doesn't have that fervent prayer in their quiver, like they don't have that, like somebody who knows how to pray fervently, it's like an arrow in their quiver. They don't always use it, but it's there. And and when a certain situation comes up, it's almost like, okay, I need the house alone. I need everybody out of the house. Because it's about to go down in here. <laughs> and in the praying, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about in this room. The, the praying sounds, it's fervent. It's not eloquent. There is no eloquent to, there's no eloquency. There you are, there's, you're not going to sound like Moses. It is not going to be a homily. It is just passion. I need you. I love you. You are, it's fervency. And those kind of prayers, oh, they weigh a lot. Oh, they weigh a lot. And he's looking at the church Church of Sardis and he's going, no, you look the part, you're fooling people. You ain't fooling me. You are not fooling me. Let me just say this, that fervency, you can't pray that wrong. And if that arrow is not in your quiver, you've got to develop it. You've got to develop it. it. And it starts with not caring what you look like and what you sound like. And that's how it begins. Now, Fervent prayer does not happen in a corporate setting. We've got ushers with tasers. It just but, but when you get home. And you get into, the Bible calls it a prayer closet. and the, You get home and you get in your private. You got to know how to shift into that gear. You may not go there often, but you got to know how to do it. The, in the Bible, it calls it spiritual warfare. You are warring. You are fighting. You are praying. This level of intensity, Lord, bless my fluid loops, is not going to work for some situations. You got to have that arrow in your quiver. So he says... He goes, your your passion, it's only skin deep. You're just walking through the motions here. You're just kind of like, hey, hey, good morning, good morning. Hey, hey, good morning, good morning, good morning. And and, and your your wickedness, you don't even want to change. You you don't even want to change. And then number two, he says this. He goes, you're spiritually asleep. Because later on in that verse, it says, in in Revelations chapter 3, verse 2, he says, wake up. Now, he doesn't say, wake up. He doesn't say, it's time to wake up, dear. No. Like when my wife wakes up my kids from school for school, she sits down on the bed and rubs their back. Oh, baby, it's time to wake up, dear. My mom used to wake me up like this. I love her, I'm just telling you. Comes in, turns on the lights, grabs my covers, and just walks off with them. <laughs> that's that's how that's how the morning started. You got five minutes. My wife is like, okay, dear, okay, dear, it's time to get up. Okay, I got some orange juice for you. That's not how Jesus is talking to this church. He's not saying, okay, it's time for you to wake up. No, 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 no. He's going, wake up! Now, why is he so... Like, if I came in your room and I said, Wake up! Your first words after a few choice words would be, Why are you yelling? This is how you have to read the Bible. you got to sit there and go, what's up, with the, what's up with the exclamatory mark? Why not a period? What are you yelling about? Why is Jesus so urgent? Maybe... Maybe it's because he can see the beast that we're fighting that we can't see. See, the beast, Satan, the Bible says that he prowls around looking for who he may devour that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And maybe it's a situation where people are spiritually sleeping and Jesus is saying, Wake up! There is a beast outside of your house. Wake up! And he's either going to destroy, he's going to kill your marriage, or he's just going to destroy it. See, there's a difference between destroying a marriage and killing a marriage. See, when you kill a marriage, which is what he wants to do, the marriage is not there anymore, it's dead, it's gone. But when you destroy a marriage, now you just got two roommates living in a house. And so you got Satan is in he's like, ah there's a beast. Wake. Would you please wake up? This is more than just a bad day. You ever hear somebody, I think I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Sometimes you do wake up on the wrong side of the bed. But that's not what's happening right now. Wake up. Uh, Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. When people are sleeping, they are spiritually sliding. Sliding. And so I'm going to illustrate the point this way. Is there anyone here that's good at math? You're not trying to brag, but you're good at math. Go ahead. Just raise your hand. Right? I'm not going to bring you up here, but just raise your hand. You're, you're pretty good. Pretty good. Okay, three of us. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm not good at math. I used to be good at math. I used to be. I was, I was pretty good. I was like two times two is four, four, four times four is six. I, I was good at math until they brought the alphabet into the math room. (laughs) That's when it was over. I had English class over here. We used the alphabet. I had math class over here. We used numbers. When we took them both and brought them together, it was all over for me. I'm sitting there, and the first thought in my mind Was not I don't get it. Can you explain it? Because there's there is no getting it. You can talk all day long. The only thing I needed to know was what grade do I need to make to play basketball? (laughs) Seventy. I can get a seventy. But the person next to me better not be absent on test day. (laughs) I can get a seventy. The most fundamental formula out there, you guys have heard it, or you forgot about it, is E, listen to this, E equals MC squared. Now, let's get mad together, shall we? Let me read this definition. E equals MC squared. Energy equals mass times... The speed of light squared. This is what we're going to talk about today. This is me in the sixth grade. This is what we're going to talk about today. You want me to figure out. (laughs) This is the fundamental one. This isn't big time. You're not in high school yet. This is middle school stuff. Energy equals mass, mass, mass. Mass, mass times the speed of light, not done, squared. See, things like that can make somebody mad. It was at that moment that every Ivy League university in the country knew that Frankie Mazepico would never be a student. I'm going to work my way through. So, but it was probably a blessing in disguise. I know it's a, it's a stretch, but listen to me. When I was 19, I did not need any help sliding away from church. And those universities were on a quick slide. Let me see if I can unravel this for you Um, harvard university harvard's college's first president and tutors insisted that there could be no true knowledge or wisdom without jesus christ and but for their passionate christian convictions there would have been no harvard at all Harvard's rules and precepts adopted in 1648 included the following essentials. Everyone shall consider the main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Yale University, by the turn of the century, Christians in the Connecticut region launched Yale. As an alternative to Harvard, many thought that Harvard was too far away and too expensive. And they also observed, watch this, that the spiritual climate at Harvard was not what it once was. Harvard, uh, I'm sorry, Yale was started by a pastor. Princeton originally uh, was started by the Reverend Jonathan Dickinson. He was the president and co-founder. On the arch of Princeton's crest, on the crest of Princeton, it still reads, Under God, She Flourishes. If you want to read more about this, in The Sacred and the Secular University, written by Roberts and Turner, this is what they said. Once Christians began adopting a naturalistic view, including evolution or earth history over a million years, it didn't take long for the rest of their faith to come crumbling down. They had given up the Bible as their starting point and had accepted naturalistic science instead. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, it says, In the last days, right before Jesus comes back, people are going to look for teachers that will tickle their ears. I want you to tell me what I want to hear. If you don't tell me what I want to hear, they'll look for teachers that will tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. So I'm telling you that to say some of you have walked into the wrong church today. Because I don't know what you want to hear, but we define right by what the Bible says from cover to cover. Not what I think. And not even what you think. What I think is worth a flipper dipper. The only thing that I do is just read out loud what I read in the Bible. And the day I stop doing that, you need to be just like this. Are you with me? So there's a spiritual slide there. Number three. Strengthen what remains. If you're taking notes... The first one was passion was only skin deep. Number two, they were spiritually asleep. And now, number three, strengthen what remains. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 2, Jesus says, Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. He's, he looks at the people in the church that are faking it and he goes, Hey, Your faith isn't what it used to be. But there's still some in there. It's not a burning, golfing flame. It's It's just an ember. But strengthen what you have. See, in a perfect case scenario, you have a standing appointment with God every day. But if your faith level is not quite there yet, strengthen what you have by peppering your entire day with one sentence prayers. You don't have enough faith to pray for an hour, but just don't let an hour go by without praying. You may not have enough faith to come in here and raise your hands. Raising your hands is just an outward expression of how you feel on the inside. It's just surrender. You may not have enough faith to raise your hands, but you have enough faith to come stand in the sanctuary, which is a huge deal, a massive deal. Let me tell you why it's so big. In Psalms chapter 26, verse 8, it says, I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glorious presence dwells. You may not have enough faith to move mountains and split the Red Sea, but do you have enough faith to show up to church and just say, I just need to be here because this room, this sanctuary is where His presence dwells. Otherwise, that slide begins to happen. used to go to church four times a month, then three times a month, then Three times, uh, two times a month. Then one time. And then once every six weeks. What's happening? Why the slide? Jesus is saying, "Take what you have and strengthen it. Don't let it get weak. Don't just have you ever have you ever been on a diet and you're like, I'm not going to eat any sweets. And then you eat one cookie and you're like, Well, since I ate the cookie, might as well eat them all." <laughs> have you ever done there? I got a guy in the back going. And then the next day, you already ruined it yesterday, so you might as well have Bluebell today, right? And then before you know it, it's like, yeah, that was a New Year's resolution. I'll wait till January. (laughs) And Jesus is saying, whoa, 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 don't let yourself just spin down out of control. Take what you have. And make it stronger. Don't let it get weaker. Make it stronger. Make it stronger. There's this uh, old story that I read about this father and his son. And they had this, uh, these trees and forests in the backyard. And, and the father said, Son! Go grab the two axes from the garage. We need to go do some work in the backyard. And so the son went and grabbed it. They'd done it before. They went in the backyard. And he goes, son, we got to take down all the dead trees. Let's just get them all down. And so they both just got to chopping. Just bam, bam. And son was on one side of the yard. The father was on the other. Chopping away. Bam, bam, bam. The father looked over and saw the son bring the axe back and was about to just take it straight down on this tree. And the father said, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. He walks over to that tree that he was about to chop and he reaches into his pocket knife, his, po- his pocket, and pulls out a pocket knife that he's carried around for years, same pocket knife. Grabs the branch and just pulls it down, takes the pocket knife, and he just skins back part of the bark, part of the skin. And he looks at his son and says, See, there's still green in this one he let it go see the father can look down and say there's still green in this one other people think it's dead other people think that that is over Jesus says look you guys don't know what's alive and what is alive I've been looking I can see right through the surface You call some people alive that are really dead and you're calling dead people alive. And that's why we don't need to judge. Let God do the judging. He looks at us and says, these people are alive and I just want to let you guys know. If there's anybody here that you know that you're in this season where you don't know if you're dead or alive, I just want you to know you still got green in you. You still got green in you. You still got a flame in you. It might be an ember, but it's still burning. And he sees that. And he protects it. Don't touch this one. Don't touch this. And he protects. Don't touch this one. This one still has green. Don't touch this one. Don't touch this one. In Psalms 56, 9, every time you pray, the tide of the battle turns. Don't touch this one. Don't touch this one. In fact, they're praying. This was the message that was the Sardis. And I I hope that from the Word of God you've been encouraged this morning. Why don't you all stand your feet for me? Can our prayer partners please come down all throughout the room? Can everyone here just bow your head and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. Nobody looking around, not our worship team, not our prayer partners, nobody looking around. Let me ask you, if your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, are you 100% sure you know where you'd spend eternity? Some of you are hearing this question for the very first time. Others of you have heard this question so many times that You've stopped listening. What if your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes? Are you 100% sure? If the answer is no, would you just raise your hand right where you're at, please? Right where you're at. See, hands are going up all over the room. As an outward sign of surrender, can all of us just raise both hands right where we are? And can we just raise our voice and say these simple words? Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my sins. Will, you me? Will you please forgive me? I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus name. Amen. amen. Now, all of us are in one of two categories. You're, you're either in a season of peace, you're in peacetime, or you're in wartime. If you're in peacetime, life is good. All you want to do is just suck on a lollipop and drive with the windows down. Life is good. But if you're in wartime, there's a few challenges. In fact, sometimes it's more than a few. And it can steal your sleep and steal your peace and stress you out. And it's in those situations where we have a decision to make. We can either try to row against the stream on our own or we can back up and we can say, you're the creator of the world. The wind and waves obey you. I'm bringing my problem to you. If that's you today, would you come out of your seat and take the hand of a prayer partner and let them pray with you. There's no official dismissal. You can leave whenever you get ready. May the Lord bless you. May He keep you. May His face shine down upon you. May his countenance be lifted up on you and deliver you. And may the grace and peace of God be with you all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, amen.